Welcome to Words of Grace, radio ministry of Elder Ben Winslet, pastor of the Flint River Primitive Baptist Church near Huntsville, Alabama. We invite you to stay tuned to today's broadcast. It seems like every other day we are learning of more tragedies that occur in the world. These might be tragedies that are close to home, things that affect you and affect me, Or they may be problems that we learn of, terrible things that happen on the complete other side of the world. That's the nature of our world at present. We are all connected by the Internet. We are connected by social media. We have telephones and we have apps that allow us to see into the other side of the planet. And because of the sensational nature of terrible news... We're basically bombarded with scenes of things that are absolutely awful. As bad as that is, so many times you and I face tragedy in our own day-to-day lives. You may have a loved one that has fallen to a terrible virus. You may have lost someone to tragedy. You may struggle with problems in your health or your own financial issues. A few months ago, I delivered a message reflecting on this and what we can do, what we can know in these situations, entitled When Tragedy Strikes. And we intend to play that particular message for you here on Words of Grace today. Rather than looking at the message of hope that we considered just a week ago on Words of Grace and how we are saved by hope in moments of affliction, this message is intended more to brace us to the reality that sufferings do abound in the world, and none of us are going to make it out of this world alive, as it were. We're all going to face trials and afflictions, and understanding this in advance can actually help us in our moments of affliction. Here's today's message, When Tragedy Strikes. I'm going to share with you something that I sent one of my friends a couple of weeks ago, because it seemed like I was getting wave after wave of tragic news. You ever have those weeks? It seems like every week is one of those weeks. Now, you might consider this a depressing or even a pessimistic thought. This old world is bad. We're not going to make it out alive. It's cursed. And we all die in a blink, our lives being a vapor. As bad as it is... I would not want to be here forever. You might think that that is cynical or pessimistic, but actually everything in that reflects the teaching of Scripture. And I use that as a way to kind of springboard into the thoughts that I want to share with you today. This world is bad. Why is this world bad? It's not bad because God made a bad world. The world that God made in the beginning of time, according to Genesis chapter 1, was good, yea, very good. God created a paradise, perfect. There was no pain, there was no sickness, there was no death. Literally every day would have just been bliss. And God gave one commandment, one rule, one law. You can eat everything in this garden, but of this one tree, you're not allowed to eat of it. It is the knowledge of good and evil. I don't believe it was a magical tree. 
I believe it was simply the commandment not to. And in the moment that he violated the commandment God had commanded him, his eyes are open. He becomes a sinner. He knows in that sense good from evil because he is now evil. He is now wicked. He is now a sinner. The world is bad because of sin. The world is bad because of sin. God creates a paradise. God creates a perfect world. Adam, in the beginning of time, rebels against God. Complete rebellion. Violates the law of God. God says, don't do that. The one thing God said not to do, Adam does. You think about that. God tells us about the New Testament church that his commandments are not grievous. It's not a grievous thing to go worship him. It's not a grievous thing to sing praises to him. God commands you to pray. Pray. It's not grievous to pray. God, help me this day. God, thank you for this food. God, help us to sleep tonight. God, thank you that I woke up. That's not grievous to do. God commands you to read his word. It's not grievous to sit down and to read a portion of his word every day. Read his word. It's not grievous to do that. When the only commandment is do not eat that, that's not grievous. And yet Adam chose to violate the one commandment God had given him. Adam is surrounded by strawberries and grapes and apples and watermelons and bananas and all of these delicious foods, surrounded by all of this, and he chooses to do the one thing that God says not to do and eat of the one type of food he's not supposed to eat of. And he plunges our entire race into rebellion by doing that. Why is this world bad? This world is bad because of sin. This world is bad because of sin. Now, by the way, Adam's transgression was don't eat and he ate. I want you to look around you at the world today and all of the hideous, wicked, gross, and perverse, perverse violations of God's law and his morality. You have people who murder one another. You have people who steal from one another. You have people who relish in all sorts of immorality in a sexual sense. And every single bit of that is against God's law. Every bit of that. Idolatry, witchcraft, backbiting, gossip. Every single bit of that is sin. And worse sin, worse in our minds than what Adam does. And what Adam does ruined a universe. He violates God's law. And because of that, the world becomes a terrible place. Because of his transgression, his offspring are born with the nature of sin. And because of their nature of sin, they continue to invent other ways to sin and to violate God's morality, God's righteousness. And the world begins to tailspin into absolute depravity and chaos and violence. You read Genesis chapter 6, you know what you find? Not a thousand years after the creation of this world, or at least after the fall, and you have a world so full of violence that God destroys it with water. And you look in every culture... And you find this same tailspin into wickedness and depravity that you find in Genesis 6 and Romans chapter 1. The world is a terrible place because of sin. Not only is it bad because of sin. Sin is bad. Sin looks like murdering people and stealing from people and abusing people 
and assaulting people. That's what sin looks like because that's what sin is. But not only is the world a terrible place because of sin, the world is cursed because of sin. And so as we already referenced, thorns and thistles shall it bring forth unto thee. Thou shalt eat the herb of the field, and the sweat of thy face shall thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground, for out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. The world is cursed. We live in a cursed place. Now, I love to emphasize how beautiful the world is, how God-glorifying creation is. Even in this world that is marred by sin, at all times creation preaches a sermon about the sovereignty of God and creation. The heavens declare the glory of God. You walk outside and you look at this beautiful creation, and it just preaches God's identity. It's undeniable. We live in a creation. We're created here to live here, to be here for this place and this place for us. As beautiful as it is, it's marred by sin. Imagine what it would have been before. You know what the hopeful thing is for the child of God? In Revelation 21, with reference to the new heavens and the new earth, God says in that place, Behold, I make all things new. It is done. All things are made new. We're taken to that place. We will live in that place forever, not as natural men like Adam who are created upright but liable to fall, but fully conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, unable to be corrupted. And we'll be there forever. No pain, no sickness, no death, no sorrow. That's where we're going. It'll be like before, but better. And we can't imagine how good it was before. This world is so bad that Romans chapter 8 says the whole creation groans and travails. The creation groans and travails. Do you feel yourself groaning and travailing in this world? I sure do. And I know so many people who do who are going through terrible things right now, have gone through terrible things before, and the sad reality is we'll go through terrible things again. There's a reason this world is described as hills and valleys. You can be on the mountaintop basking in God's sunshine, and the next moment you're passing through the valley of the shadow of death. The whole creation groans. This world is bad. What was the next thing in that pessimistic quote of mine? We're not going to make it out alive. We're not going to make it out alive. In Genesis 2.17, God promises Adam that in the day that he eats of this forbidden fruit, the knowledge or the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he will what? Surely die. When Adam sins, when he eats of that, guess what happened to him? In a sense, he died right there. He died right there. You say, well, he continued to live corporally. Yes, he did. For another 900 and something years, Adam lived as a physical man. But when Adam ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Adam died a death in trespasses and in sins. The Hebrew there could also be translated, dying thou shalt die. Dying thou shalt die. He died immediately a death in trespasses and in sins. And then for another 900 and something years, he went through the process of physically dying. And then he gave up the ghost. And he died. And every other human being who has ever lived from the first man until now, when their lifespan was over, they did what? They died. It boggles my mind to think about the fact that we live in the world with a collective group of people and, yeah, we add to them every year. 
But this is the generation of our life. These are the people that we live in this world with. You didn't live in the world with Abraham Lincoln or George Washington or Napoleon. We live this little span of life with the people in this world at this time, and when we're gone, we're gone. And the overwhelming majority of people in human history are completely lost to time. You don't know who they were. No one does. You say that's morbid, but that's life in this world. I love to remind you of the fact that God knows. He knows every single one of them. He knows every single one of their life stories. He knows where they're laid. He knows the molecules that made up their body that have gone back to the dust of this world. Every single one of us will pass away. One day or another, we're going to pass away. Thou shalt surely die. When Adam eats of that, he becomes a sinner. He dies a death in trespasses and in sins, and he began the process of physically dying. Worse, because every single one of us is a sinner by practice as well as by nature. Every millisecond beyond my conception was an act of divine mercy. Every millisecond of life beyond my conception was an act of divine mercy because in my conception, the moment I came into being, what was I? A sinner. And what do sinners deserve? They deserve death because the wages of sin is death. Sin passed upon all men for that all have sinned, Romans 5. Every one of us is a sinner. Every one of us is Adam multiplied. Dying thou shalt die. We all deserve death, and every single millisecond beyond my conception is an act of God's divine mercy. If something terrible happens to me, and at 41 years of life, I leave this world to go to be with Jesus, rather than thinking of the tragedy of not getting the other three decades, that's the general lifespan, I want you to think about the fact that I got over four decades that I didn't deserve. How's that for a different perspective on life? Do you want to live forever in a world with perpetual suffering? Last statement I made in that pessimistic, cynical quote, as bad as it is, I wouldn't want to be here forever. Would you want to live in this world forever with all of the sadness and the sickness and the aging and the death? Think about what life would be like. I mean, one life is enough to say, I'm ready to go home, Lord. You get to the end of your life, you're going to be tired of the terrible things you've seen in this world. Galatians chapter 1 and verse 4 reminds us that Jesus died for us. He gave himself for us that he might deliver us from this present evil world. I'm not looking to live forever in this place. I'm looking to be delivered from this place. This world's not your friend. This world's not your home. What we hope for is to be rescued. There's a lot of things that I could say about suffering, and I'll hit these points and move on. Suffering is inevitable. I like to remind you that there are various causes or reasons for suffering. First of all, as we've emphasized over the last 40 minutes, we all suffer because of the sin of Adam. If you want to know why does my back hurt, ultimately, the sin of Adam. Why do I have arthritic hands, the sin of Adam. Why am I blind as a bat, the sin of Adam. Why do I have heart problems, the sin of Adam? Why is there untimely death in the world, the sin of Adam? Number two, we suffer divine chastening. Sometimes bad, unpleasant things happen in our life because God chastens us, because He chastens every son He receives. 
when afflictions happen, I might not know the reason, but one of the things I need to do is stop and ask the question, am I being chastened for something that I am doing in my day-to-day life, and I am to examine myself and make changes? Number three, we suffer because of our sins or the sins of others. What do I mean by that? If I smoke two packs of cigarettes a day, I should not be surprised when I get lung cancer. If I drink like a sailor, I shouldn't be surprised if I get fatty liver and cirrhosis of the liver, should I? No, because I did something that was foolish and resulted in an untimely suffering. We suffer because of things we do that are either foolish or sinful. We suffer persecution. One of the causes of suffering in this world is persecution. There is a wicked one that hates you because he hates your Savior, and he has people in this world, and they do everything they can to torment you and persecute you and afflict you, and sometimes you suffer when you did nothing wrong because Satan is afflicting you. You know what happened when the apostles suffered for Christ's sake? They counted it all joy to be found worthy to suffer for his cause. Sometimes we suffer for special causes for the glory of God, like the man who was born blind in John 9, or Lazarus who was suffered to be sick and to die, and Jesus intentionally tarried so Lazarus would have the natural end of that illness and die just so Jesus could raise him from the dead. Jesus tarried. I'm not going to go heal him. I'm going to go raise him from the dead instead so you know that I have the power to raise people from the dead. Explicitly says that. In John 9, there was a man born blind. The apostles were like, who sinned that this man was born blind, himself or his parents? What do you mean that he sinned to be born blind? Yes, we're all born as sinners, but in the womb, you're just kind of floating around. There's not a whole lot in trouble you can get into there. He was born blind so Jesus could come along and heal him. And that glorified God. Sometimes we suffer for the glory of God. Who all in Scripture suffered for the glory of God? you got men like Joseph. you got men like Job. The man that was born blind, Lazarus, that happens. Things we need to know in tragedy. That was what we need to know before tragedy. This world is a bad place. It is cursed. We don't want to be here forever. What do I need to know and be reminded of in the moment of tragedy? First one I want to share with you is Isaiah 57. We are prone to forget this. The righteous perisheth, and no man layeth it to heart. And merciful men are taken away, none considering that the righteous is taken away from the evil to come. He shall enter into peace, they shall rest in their beds, each one walking in his uprightness. The context of Isaiah 57 is idolatry and sin. When Isaiah writes, he looks out at a people that are in gross idolatry. They're given to sin. You look out at America today and you see a people in gross idolatry given to sin because that's the way of the world. And Isaiah says, The righteous perisheth and no man layeth it to heart. In a society full of wickedness and idolatry and sinfulness, good people often die and others don't even notice. And they fail to consider the fact, none considering that the righteous is taken away from evil to come. Tragic as it might be, if a good godly man dies young, at his death, you don't have to feel sorry for him. We feel sorry for the ones left behind. They mourn. They continue to struggle. They continue to suffer. But when a righteous person perishes, where does he go? 
Well, he enters into peace, he rests in his bed, and he walks in his uprightness. Where is that? Well, he already perished. He's with Christ. And to depart and be with Christ is far better. You don't have to feel sorry for those that are in the Lord that have died. They are somewhere where there is no calamity, where there is no affliction, where there is no sin, where there is no death. We've got a world around us that doesn't even pay attention when good godly people die. They don't even take it to heart. And they don't realize that they're taken away from the wrath to come. I want you to keep that verse in mind. Because it equips us to understand that sometimes good people pass away in this life because the world hates them. And it was actually an act of mercy because now they are with Christ. They are spared from the evil to come. Now this is conjecture. I often wonder if someone passes away because something more unpleasant in their future is waiting. Number two, things that we need to know in the middle of tragedy... Because we will all die, because this world is ruined, because we want to escape this world, and Jesus died to deliver us from this world, because righteous men perish and are spared from evil to come. Listen to Psalm 116 and verse 15. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. To us, death is the worst thing that can possibly happen, because this life is all that we know. But if we only could view death from the perspective of the Lord, we would be crying, Lord, take us all now. Come back and rescue us from this terrible place. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Now, in the context of this psalm, the psalmist has been spared from death. God has preserved him. God has delivered his soul, verse 4. The sorrows of death compassed him, verse 3. But God spared him. And because of that, he says, I will pay my vows unto the Lord in the presence of his people. I'm going to go worship him around those that worship him because he has spared me. But even in the midst of being delivered from death, he says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. When we die, our departure from this world is precious in the sight of God. I think the closest glimpse we get into that is when a child comes home. You've missed them. They're gone. You might have worried about them. Let's say you've got a soldier that goes off to war. A soldier comes home from war. Children are weeping with joy. The wife hugs him. She loves on him. There are tears. There are smiles. There are laughs because there's a reuniting there. When we go to be with God in glory... Think about that from his perspective. He loves you. He died for you. He chose you. He redeemed you. He regenerated you. And now you are with him. You're there. Yeah, we lose you, but you don't belong to me. And I don't belong to you. We belong to Christ. And when a saint dies, they are reunited with Christ in glory, in his personal presence. And so because of that, precious in the sight of the Lord is the what? The death of His saints. Death is the reuniting of a saint of God with their Savior. It's hard to be sad about that, isn't it? To depart and be with Christ is better. Another thing to know in our trials, God can make terrible things in our life turn around and be a blessing for us. He can make our enemies to be at peace with us. 
He can turn a situation around that was terrible and make it a blessing. What does God do in the life of Joseph? He overrules the situation, works in it to accomplish his purposes in the world, and the end of it was better than the beginning. That can only happen when God is involved. It's not the way this world works. God can cause the terrible things that we experience in this life to turn around and be a blessing as he overrules them and works in the midst of the situation. Another thing to remember in our moments of trial, 1 Corinthians 13, 12. Now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as I am known. There's coming a day in your existence when you will know why. You'll know why terrible things have happened. You'll know why certain things were suffered to happen. You'll know why everything is as everything has been. You will know. You know, that was the problem of Job's friends. They thought they knew. Why does this happen, Brother Ben? This is terrible. Why is this happening in the world? I have no idea. I don't know the mind and purpose of God. I don't know if this suffering is because of chastening or sins or decisions or persecution or special causes for the glory of God. I don't know if this suffering is just because it's a sin-cursed world and the world is just broken. I don't know. But you know what? One day we're going to know. We will know even as we are known. One day you will know why the terrible things in this world have fallen out the way that they have. And even better than that, you will have full victory over them. Complete and total victory through Christ over all of the afflictions of this world. I feel like reading Romans chapter 8. What shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? What does that apply to? Sufferings, because this chapter is about suffering. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall not he with him also freely give us all things? Who has laid, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword? Shall those things separate you from the love of Christ? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him. You probably don't feel like a conqueror in the midst of your trial. But through Christ you will have victory over it. What if it kills me? What happens when you die? You go to be with him in glory. Eventually, eventually... Every single wrong will be made right. We'll be more than conquerors through Christ. I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Eventually, we will have the answers. And eventually, we will have full victory over all of these afflictions. Father, thank you so much for the victory. Thank you for the knowledge that even though we don't know why all of these terrible things happen in the world, we don't have the answers. We don't have this figured out. We know, Lord, that one day we will know. We know that we will have ultimate victory in Christ. We know that this world is broken 
And we know that afflictions are inevitable, they're inescapable. But Lord, your Son came into this world to die for us, to deliver us from this present evil world to the world to come, a world in which there will be no more heartaches, there will be no more broken hearts, there will be no more troubles, there will be no more illnesses, there will be no more trials, there will be no more death. And so, Father, we just say with John as he closes out, revelation and your divine word even so lord jesus come quickly that's where we want to be we don't want to be here anymore this world is such a terrible place because of our sin lord thank you for sending jesus who became sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of god in him that we might be delivered from this place we pray lord for the forgiveness of sins be with us lead us and guide us through these hills and valleys we ask in jesus name If you enjoy the messages you hear on Words of Grace, consider this your invitation to visit a Primitive Baptist Church in your community. To contact us, address your correspondence to Words of Grace Radio, 641 Moontown Road, Brownsboro, Alabama, 35741, or visit us online at flintriverpbc.org.